0: If you missed last week's episode, please go back and listen to the podcast of Bishop Kajiano speaking with Bishop Kava, who is shepherding his flock in Lviv, Ukraine, and with Bishop Paul Komnitsky, the Ukrainian Orthodox bishop here in Stanford. On today's show, Bishop Kajiano has more thoughts on the situation in Ukraine today, including a discussion about just war theory. This is the Veritas Catholic Network on your radio at 1350 a.m., FM, and on your phone with the Veritas mobile app. Make sure you download the app at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or at veritascatholic.com. You're listening to Let Me Be Frank, which is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. St. John Paul II told young people, the church needs your youthful ideas in order to make the gospel of life penetrate the fabric of society. So, Foundations in Faith is inviting all Diocese of Bridgeport parishes, to apply for parish support grants from the St. John Paul II Fund for Religious Education and Faith Formation. The St. John Paul II Fund focuses on young people and their ideas to elevate and invigorate their faith formation experience. Applications are open now until April 1st. To learn more or to apply, visit www.foundationsinfaith.org. All right, here we go. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I am Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve,
1: um, first, it's great to see you.
0: And, you know,
1: last week when we had our uh, podcast on the Ukraine, it really was an extraordinary testimony of the two bishops we had on, right? yes and in their different capacities trying to exercise their moral and spiritual leadership in very diff- difficult circumstances i thought it's one of one of the most remarkable encounters we've had so far in this almost two years together
0: yeah mm-hmm. i've i've heard uh so many people have reached out and just said that that was incredibly moving and powerful to hear mm-hmm. you with uh, bishop kava and then with bishop uh, komnitsky so yeah yep great So I thought today what we would do is
1: continue some further reflections on the situation, not so much in the detail, but in the generality of war and the Christian tradition trying to understand when a war could ever be fought. So we call it the just war theory. And how in the modern world that itself may have changed in part because of the presence of weapons of such massive destruction, that there there are voices that say um, those sort of wars, including the voices of the bishops,
0: mm-hmm.
1: could never ever be fought. There could be no justification for wars of that magnitude. <clears throat> so I thought that would be what we can at least begin our conversation with. How does that sound?
0: Yeah, sounds great.
1: <clears throat> Good. So... We look at the Ukraine, we look at the terrible suffering. I mean, it just continues to get worse and worse by the day. And now, as we went to, to record now, the fact that Kyiv is being attacked, apartment buildings are being blown up, hospitals of children are being targeted. Yeah. I mean, to say it's outrageous is just an understatement. <clears throat> to say that there is could be no possible justification a behavior like that is obvious, right? So we as Christians have had a body of thought that's even in the Catechism of the Catholic Church that speaks of war as um, being considered just under the strictest of circumstances when there is no other alternative to reestablish justice or to prevent an even graver ill from occurring. Hmm. So, I want to offer these reflections not to necessarily analyze what's going on in the Ukraine because there is absolute unanimity that what is going on there is unjust, unacceptable, right? And has to end, must be stopped. But it is important that we talk about it, right? Yes. So from the ancient Greeks, right, there has been this discussion. In the Middle Ages, certainly in the Christian tradition, we have had a tremendous amount of discussion about this. Can a war ever be considered just, right? And there has been, over the years, an evolution so that there is both a lot of commentary that speaks of when a war could be waged, there is commentary on the conduct that should be observed if you are prosecuting a war. And then there is thought, even in more recent times, about what we're going to say, what I would say is the post-war experience. That is, how does justice, how do you justly deal with, you know, a country that is defeated? And how do you impose terms of peace? And what does that peace look like? Because that too needs to follow moral uh, norms. And just as an aside, there are many historians who believe that the First World War, the way it was decided, that is, the terms of peace were in at least no small measure the cause of the Second World War. Because the terms were so harsh right and and rendered germany so uh, unable to come out of the destruction of its own making without a doubt that it provoked that level of desperation that allowed another despot a, a, a tyrant a, a, a madman to come to power that provoked the second world war so there so there is logic there right yes and there are many ideas that surround Um, what can ever allow a war to be considered justifiable, right? And and again, they vary from tradition to tradition, from philosopher to philosopher, and even within Christianity, there's a differing of opinions, right? But what's clear is that there has to be at least the following. First, that the cause is just, And by saying that the cause is just, that it cannot be for a gain, it can't be for the, uh, the uh, um, influence or the imposition of authority or for money, but it could be to prevent uh, an injustice, to prevent a genocide, right? So the cause has to be just. It has to be proportional, too that whatever response is made in warfare is proportionate to the the aim that's being, the the, the cause that's being touted for the reason of it. In other words, you cannot simply overwhelm an adversary and inflict all of this tremendous damage when that damage was not necessary. Mm -hmm. Therefore, it talks about just means and one of the things we'll talk about in a couple of minutes is the challenge of peace. Do you remember the pastoral letter that the bishops issued? I'm not even sure. Were
0: you born? Uh, oh, my gosh. I, was, I you, was 10. That was 1983. Oh, my God. I need a therapist. I need a therapist. <laughs> need a therapist.
1: <laughs> okay, but I do remember it. <laughs> God, it's like ancient history for you. Wow. But I do remember it. Okay, it was in the Ronald Reagan era, it was the era I came to, you know, as I said, I, I came to maturity in that, in, that, in that age. And the bishops took up the question of uh, nuclear war. Hmm. And, you know, to anticipate what are we going to talk about, I mean, the bishops are basically saying it's never justifiable, because it violates every sense of proportionality, and it violates the idea of a just means, because you can't discriminate between those who are innocent civilians and those who may may be combatants. It's destruction on such a massive scale that it, A, should not exist because of of its immorality and can never be used. And yet we have thousands of them in more and more country hands. Yes. Right. Another principle of just war, is it self-defense or not? So one could go to war, a country could go to war to defend itself, which is what exactly the Ukraine is trying to do now. And then there always has to be the fair treatment of captives because when a person is a combatant, right, they, they, are, they are agents of, the, of, of, of moving the war forward. Right? So they are unfortunately, Right? Men and women who are in service of their country, putting their lives at risk right? for the cause. But once they're captured, they can no longer be combatants by definition. Therefore, they cannot render harm. And therefore, m- m- basic morality would say they need to be treated fairly and justly. Right? And unfortunately, that does not happen to be the case in the modern world in many different places. There is a major distinction that has to be made here so that we are very clear. War is never a good, never a good. One more time, it is never a good. It may be necessary, and that's what we're talking about, but nowhere in the Christian tradition that I'm aware of says that war is good in itself. It is not. Okay, And therefore, in some way, shape, or form, it may be just, but it can never be a first resort. It must always be a last resort. So who, in the end, talks a lot about, in our own church, in our own tradition as Catholic Christians, who does that? Two, two saints, of course, two of the most famous saints, right? St. Saint Augustine, our patron in the diocese, right? And St. Thomas.
0: It's always them. <laughs>
1: It always says, well, you know, you go to the greats and then everybody else falls into line, right? Everybody else comments on what they had to say. And St. Augustine makes some interesting points, right? One that's fascinating is he says that for a country to remain peaceful in the face of a grave wrong, right, that could only be stopped by violence, could itself be a sin. Right? Again, not because the violence is good, it's not, but it may be a necessary means in a proportional way for a just cause to prevent a graver ill, and just to say, well, we as Christians believe in peace and therefore we will do nothing, can actually itself be sinful if we could have prevented in proportional way using just means, that grave sin. So let's look to the Second World War, right? There was always a, 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 a movement of pacifism and there was in the United States not to get involved in the European conflict because it was so far away. And on some level, one could justify that. But on the other hand, Augustine would be the first to say, if there is a wholesale genocide of people that you become aware of, then your decision to remain quote unquote peaceful or pacifist in front of that could be sinful because you could stop that grave eve evil. Right? So now you apply it to the Ukraine. Right? As, as, a, as another point of reference. And the question is, how far can you become involved and should become involved to prevent the grave evil of an armed aggression against an, uh, a, a, a neighbor that for which there is no cause? Is something that has to be balanced, right? right? It's, it's a fascinating place to be right, in the analysis. But that's one of the things, right? And the second is, Augustine says, if war is to be waged, it has to be waged by legitimate authority. And why is that important? It is important because legitimate authority would need to go through the necessary consultation to ensure that the analysis is done So that the conclusion that we have to wage war has gone through this process of analysis that I just spoke about. That's not willy-nilly. You know, I decided tomorrow I'm going to, which is ultimately almost sounds as if what happened with the President Putin. He just decided he was going to do this. One can even argue that's illegitimate. And the question is, is the authority then legitimate? Hmm. Which is a whole other question, Mm -hmm. right? Then St. Then Thomas builds on that. And St. Thomas says that there are three requirements, all right, for a war to be just. First, that it's by legitimate sovereign. It's a command. Second, that it is a just cause, right, based on, right, correcting a wrong. And there, the third is there has to be a right intent, right, that you are going to promote good, and avoid evil as much as possible in the act of intending justice, not vengeance, not power, but justice. So St. Thomas says you could actually have, all right, an offensive war promoted that way, that it not simply be a defensive war. It can be an offensive because you are doing it to avoid tolerating a greater injustice. So you see, these are all prudential judgments, right? right? But always as a last resort, always as a last resort, never as a first resort. Now, for anybody who's listening to this podcast, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, in paragraph 2309, 2309, the church outlines right, the four strict conditions for what would be considered a legitimate use of military force. Right? So it doesn't use the word war, but a legitimate use of military force. Legitimate defense by military force is even more accurate. Okay. So it says, to allow me just to quote it, right, so that the damage inflicted by the aggressor on a nation... Would have to be lasting, grave, and certain. Hmm. Right? So what's coming, all right, is basically of a grave nature that would have a long term generational effect. The second is that there that the use of this military action, all right, all of the means to try to stop that grave damage and evil have been exhausted. There is no other resort right, than to uh, turn to the military. Number three is extremely important, that there has to be serious prospects for success. And the last is the use of arms should not produce evils or or disorders graver than the evil you're trying to present, right, that you're trying to eliminate. So you can't cause more harm by the military action than the harm being inflicted without the military action. But isn't number three very interesting? Serious yeah. prospects of success.
0: So so that, that definitely needs more explanation, Excellency.
1: Yeah, well, again, you prove the premise by going to the extreme. Okay. Right? So if we were in military confrontation and one of the combatants decided to use biological weapons or chemical weapons or nuclear weapons. We've already said that it violates proportionality, right? It violates the ability to discriminate between the innocent and those who are combatants. Mm -hmm. And one must ask the question, how do you define success in that? If there is a multiple exchange of nuclear weapons, does anybody win? Right. Right. Yeah. Right. One of the issues here is look at the recent wars, quote unquote, except with the, with the exception of the war against, remember, I guess it was against Iraq when they invaded Kuwait, mm-hmm. which President Bush orchestrated. Yes. That really had a beginning, middle and end. But most of the conflicts we have been involved with, with Vietnam, with Afghanistan, the question going in was, what were the prospects of success? And having withdrawn, what was the end result of all of that military intervention and all the suffering that came from it? Again, it's a prudential judgment. Right. And those in authority have to weigh it. But the truth of the matter is, if there is absolutely no prospect of success, one has to reason whether or not is an option that is legitimate and reasonable to pursue, which would be military intervention. So it's complicated, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So can I ask a question? So sure, it, ask whatever it, you like. <laughs> so it's... uh. So let's say that... Um, that uh, the U.S. entering World War II was just. Mm -hmm. And then, let's say, I know there's debate on this, but let's say that the the dropping of the two nuclear bombs Mm -hmm. on Japan Mm -hmm. was unjust. I guess, does that that mean that uh, a just war could evolve or devolve into an unjust uh, conflict? Well... uh
1: you could enter with the just cause, uh-huh. correct? And it could devolve, of course, depending on your behavior. Yeah. Of course it could. You know, in the end, one could have argued, could the first nuclear explosion have been a demonstration rather than on a civilian population? And, and I don't know the details, all right? I'm not a historian. I'm not a military strategist. I'm just a pastor. Right. But one wonders if one had been demonstrated to say this is coming unless you surrender, would that have been a more appropriate use of that technology rather than the indiscriminate killing of civilians? And then if there was no response, would that have been a more justifiable use of what is now considered a very small nuclear um, explosion compared to what is now possible on a scale unimaginable right, in 1945.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Right? The interesting thing is, uh, there is absolutely general agreement that when you talk about the just war theory, and when you look at the section of it that deals with conduct in war, that there is absolutely, absolutely no justification for the, for the indiscriminate bombing of cities, of targeting civilians for harm, that um, residential areas that have no legitimate military targets tr- should never be subject to any military action, that neutral targets should never be fought, places of compassion and medicine. I mean, that's just common sense, and it's right. in the body of international understanding. And you see what effect it does not have.
0: <laughs> would So would, uh, would just war, uh, would you call it just war theory? The just war idea, principles, as yes. laid down by the church. Uh, so would they allow for a, a quote, good and strong nation to step in to protect a weaker nation when they are being unjustly attacked? I mean, it,
1: it again, according to this body, there may be circumstances where that is actually the moral imperative, hmm. but you have to weigh the entire situation, right? And in the end, in this case, particularly if you're looking at the Ukraine, if intervention, and again, it's very complex and it's a very delicate question. But if there's intervention by military powers in the Ukraine, that can provoke a nuclear exchange, right, then by the very reasons that would justify the entrance would not justify the the, the, uh, the prosecution of the war. Yeah, for one thing, it,
0: for one thing, it brings that third, that third uh, uh, question right. into in question the, the prospects right. for success.
1: Yeah. In which case one would argue the existence of nuclear weapons is itself now a principle that should prevent military intervention as an extreme last resort, precisely because the moral obligation is never to even allow the possibility of their use, which the Russians have disregarded, Hmm. right?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> can we? So can we take these these principles as uh, that were laid out for nations and apply them to let's say individuals? <laughs> um. So, like, for me, well, protecting my family or yes, the kids self-defense standing up to you have bully. The right
1: to self-defense. Absolutely, you do mm-hmm. In moral, Yeah, and and we should have a moralist come on the podcast and raise these very questions because mm. it would be a fascinating conversation because especially as violence increases around us one has to say well, what what rights do i have to defend myself what measures should i take right yeah. and and that becomes a complicated not complicated a nuanced moral issue but to conclude our conversation here i would recommend that everyone read the 1983 pastoral letter called the challenge of peace that the bishops published. Now, my goodness, was that, 30 years ago?
0: Yeah.
1: Right, because it really, it speaks to how the existence of nuclear weapons has changed this doctrine, right, in very significant ways. And the very fact that the countries have amassed thousands of weapons where only six or seven could destroy humanity's right, call it humanity's survival, totally into question. That in and of itself, or you question the morality of that. And the whole idea of the, the doctrine of mutual destruction is itself something that, right, from a moral point of view, that shows you how poor, and in some sense, pathetic, humanity's stance still is,
0: yeah. as the only way to keep the peace. Right <laughs> Right. So, so when we come back from the break uh, I'd like to ask you about, uh, about Ukraine specifically Now that you kind of laid the You set the table for us mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Generally speaking So we, we will be back after the break To talk more about this subject With Bishop Frank Caggiano This is Let Me Be Frank On the Veritas Catholic Network Be right back
2: The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org.
0: Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network. Uh, We just wrapped up talking about just war and uh, and the principles behind just war. And now, uh, Excellency, I'd like to talk about you know, some of uh, the reactions that you've seen from the West, it's right. pre- been pretty uniform yeah. uh, right. towards right. the situation in Ukraine. Right,
1: right. Well, let me just say this, just kind of to, to bring conclusion, what we were talking about in the first segment. The just war theory is the, is the theory, right? The, this body of knowledge, the application of, of, of Catholic uh, social teaching and doctrine to the behavior of nations. Mm-hmm. But there's another level that we have been talking about all along is how you and I as individuals need to support our Ukrainian brothers and sisters. And quite frankly, more than that, our Syrian brothers and sisters and the peoples in Africa that are civil war. In other words, we we can't speak for the American government, but I can speak for myself. And therefore, by prayers and resources, we need to be involved and we need to help. That's the bottom line. Yes. Okay. So, you know, we're taping on a, on a Monday, the CRS, the board is meeting Wednesday and Thursday, and we're going to have a report of what's going on on the ground, I'm sure. And I know that our people, the CRS people in the Ukraine itself, at least up to this point, still remain safe. And they're yeah. doing their best they can to provide the humanitarian aid, but you could imagine when you don't know if a bomb is coming in the middle of a civilian area, Right? There's a limited amount of even to get people out of their homes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right? Because you don't know where it's coming next. See, that's the evil of indiscriminate bombing. That's the evil of non-combatants being involved in war. It's just, even if their aid is there, they're taking a risk just to come out and get it. It's crazy.
0: I I can't even imagine...
1: And, and CRS is working with Caritas uh, uh, Moldova and Poland and Romania, especially in Poland, because I think the majority of refugees are coming into Poland. I mean, you have to consider, at our taping now, there's over 2 million refugees. could even be more now. That's two times the entire population of Fairfield County. Okay? So it's the whole county and another equal, just getting up and leaving and going Where? to get what, to stay where, to use what bathroom? Yeah. I mean, literally not to get too too granular about it, but where do all these people use the facilities? What facilities?
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: I mean, so we have to be involved and CRS is doing a great job. And I have to say also, if I may, to thank everyone in our diocese who gave to the Ukrainian collections that we had in our parishes. I don't know what we collected. I will let you know when we next tape. But it's. I'm sure people have been very generous. They always are. Yeah.
0: Right? Yeah.
1: But there are many different reactions of people. Okay? So let's, let's, let's do a few. Okay. Right. It's a natural reaction for us to characterize a people with the same stroke of the brush that characterizes their leaders. And that's fundamentally unjust. Right. There's lots of Russian and Russian-Americans who live in the United States, you know, as, as a former Brooklynite, Bright, Bright Beach, right, it is, is basically a Russian community. But even in our own county, and I am sure there are some who are tempted to take out their anger on what the Russian government decided to do on Russians. And that's something we have to resist as Christians. Because they can be as equally victimized as we are. Yes.
0: hmm Yeah. Yeah. That reaction almost doesn't even make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: But when you're angry, you have to vet your anger at something or right. someone or some situation. So you can easily just vent it out on the wrong people. Yeah. Right. And the other thing too, quite frankly, is, you know, I saw, uh, on the, I watched, uh, I forget what I was watching, and they interviewed this young Russian before all the journalists left, when Putin decided that free journalism is a crime, right? And they interviewed this man about the McDonald's leave he goes, well, when McDonald's came to Moscow, it was the beginning of the colonialization of the West of Russia. And now that they're leaving, the only thing I could say is have a nice trip. So I'm thinking to myself, I had two reactions. My first reaction was, are you ignorant? Because <laughs> if you think McDonald's is the colonization, really you have problems. <laughs> but then I said to myself, but this man is a young man. Could be equally a victim. Because what do I know? What this man was taught all these years in school, right. or what what misinformation was given to him, or disinformation, or partial truths was given to him? He's only reacting to what he knows. Yes. So in the end, is he the protagonist, or is he the victim too, in this? And if we don't have that critique to be able to step back and say, okay, what is really going on here? What is really, besides what's being said, what's the dynamic? Then you can easily become judgmental, all right? Or you could pass, or even worse. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes.
1: So I'm not sure any of our listeners have seen this. I have from my vantage point. How an entire people is becoming a scapegoat for the actions of very few, and we as Christians cannot go down that path
0: yeah it's it's gosh, you know now that you mentioned that like yeah, it happened with um Arab Americans after nine eleven 11 exactly it happened the past couple of years with Asians because of uh of the covid nineteen right likely right. coming is out of it, China I mean right. Exactly, exactly. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that.
1: You know, violence against Asians and Asian Americans is up like 500%. Okay? So, because you may think that some, whoever that was, some scientist in China may or may not have decided to, to, to create this vi- or mutate this virus for whomever, for whatever purposes. But what does that have to do with the, with the Chinese or Korean
0: elderly woman on the subway? Right. What does
1: one have to do with the other?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We right? lose our minds when we get angry.
1: Right. <laughs> right. right. Passions. Override reason. We're rational animals. We're not animals that have that reason. We're rational animals. Our reason is to govern our behavior. And sometimes it doesn't do such a good job. But in this sort of situation, when you see such blatant evil and people are just so agitated and they do pray, which we could talk about, Mm. and they do give, and they wanna do more than that, sometimes you don't know where to direct your anger. Yeah. And then we become the perpetrators of sin. Yeah. Right, and then you, you look at what Putin is doing and you say to yourself, that man, the, over my dead body, will that man govern my behavior? Because <laughs> that's giving him a victory he will never have. But then when you look at the attitudes and the actions that we sometimes be, we, we betray because we're angry and because we're frustrated. and because-
0: Yeah. Yeah, this whole thing moved my two teenage sons to even uh, get angry. And and one of them said to me, he said something like, what is Russia's problem? He said, let me sign up. I'll go over and fight for the Ukrainians, bro. I was like, okay, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Right, right. uh, And and even the language, because even I use
1: the language here. See, I used it too. And I have to be more precise because it it's not Russia, yes, and it's not the Russians, right it's Putin, it's Vladimir Putin and his leadership
0: I, I think, uh, Excellency, isn't there also a temptation to go the exact opposite direction mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. almost to say, "This is too much, I can't, I'm just going to shut it all out and like bury my uh-huh. head.
1: Right. Yes, yes.
0: And here we
1: are in a very interesting place because we are all different by personality and temperament. And there are some individuals who having watched some of those images in the Ukraine, especially that one image where I saw, I forget, I think it was on, I don't know if it was on PBS, I think it was, where this young man, young father, was saying goodbye to his wife and to his daughter, and he just couldn't let go. Oh. Right, because he was looking at them and he's probably saying, "So I don't know. I don't ever see. I don't know if I'll ever see them again." Right? It just breaks your heart. There are some people by personality who cannot see a lot of that because it's so disturbing to them. Right, that they can't sleep, they can't process, because they're just very sensitive. And then there are others who could watch it all right, and process it as best they can. But why do I raise this? I raise this because there are some who have to take a step back in the active engagement of the events as they transpire because they simply cannot personally do it without inflicting harm on themselves. We have Mm. to respect that disassociation. But we cannot ever... Totally disassociate from what's going on there. In other words, you can't just turn up your music, right, and turn on Netflix and make believe it's not happening. Yes. We cannot do that.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? And we have a right and we have an obligation more than a right to remain informed of what's going on, even if we cannot immediately change what's going on. Because if you don't face evil in the face, then it, it you you cannot appropriately see it for what it's really worth, and yeah. you cannot then respond.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you ever see uh, this movie called Hotel Rwanda, Excellency? Was, I've
1: heard of it, but I've not seen it.
0: Yeah. So, it, but it was about the I think the Hutus and the Tutsis killing each other in Rwanda. Actually, it was oh. one side killing the other. And it was the story of a man who opened up his hotel to rescue, I forget which side it was that was being uh, murdered, Mm -hmm. but there was one line that just always stuck with me because there is an American camera crew, news crew, filming, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. the hotel owner says, thank you for doing this, and this will get the U.S., I'm sure, to help and intervene, and the cameraman's like, no, it's not. And the hotel set owner said, how can, it not, how can the people in the U.S. not intervene when they see something like this on TV? And the cameraman said, I think people are going to see this, and they're going to say, that's so horrible. And then they'll turn back to eating their dinners.
1: Ah, ah, now, I dispute both men. Okay. Because you know I'm contrarian. <laughs> okay, you're right. Okay. I'm a very difficult person <laughs> <laughs> because I think they're both incorrect. Because in the end, the man who, uh, who was running the hotel wanted to engage the United States. Remember, engaging the people of the United States and engaging the government of the United States are not the same thing. <laughs> right. So I do not believe people would be watching that movie and just turn it off and go eat dinner. There may be some, but some would be called into action. The action that is within our power and hands to effect. Now, whether it moves our government, that is like the just war theory, then you're on a different realm. And one would hope that that is the deliberation that's done all right, conscientiously, justly, intelligently, logically, well, I'm not sure that always happens on a governmental <laughs> level. <laughs> but on the end, we can change our government if we want, vote other people into office, if we're really convicted. But absent that, when they die, they will stand in judgment for what they did or did not do. And the funny thing is, I love this part of it. Whether you believe you're going to be judged or not is irrelevant because you will be judged. Hmm. Fact that I don't believe it won't stop it. That may come as a revelation to a lot of people. But in the end, it is what it is, so they will be judged. Take consolation that you're not, but you will. Yeah. You'll have to answer for whoever. So to those who have more, more is expected. My yes. like, gosh, if people in authority actually believed that, could you imagine how our, the conduct of our nation would change? But I can not speak for the powers that be in Washington, but I can speak for me. So I think in the end, the, the truth is somewhere in between what these two individuals were saying.
0: Yeah, yeah, and mm-hmm. and and you keep putting the responsibility, personal responsibility, on us as individuals, which is, and and I I think we're seeing that with the um, Polish people who are are coming to the border and. Inviting people to their homes. Do you need a place to stay? Do you need a place to live until this of course? Sure. Yeah We have
1: parishioners in this diocese There have people who have emailed me saying if if the refugees come here, I will open my house wow. and I mean just right and open my house So you see that's taking the responsibility that we have within our power to do now we need Right to also advocate for civil leaders who reflect our values And the whole idea that I'm comfortable with the status quo is not good enough, right, when you have missiles 10 miles away from the border of a NATO country that yeah. could start World War III. It's yeah. just not.
0: So uh, I, I got an email from um, from a priest here in the diocese mm-hmm. who... Uh, who asked me to to pass this on on to you for the show cuz mm-hmm. he has direct access to you he doesn't need me obviously but for the show so he 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 asked me to ask you to to talk about you know praying with trust and confidence mm-hmm. that god is going to mm-hmm. sort this out mm-hmm. and, and um alongside this desire this individual desire to take action aside mm-hmm. from prayer um mm-hmm. how do we
1: they're not mutually exclusive. They're not mutually exclusive. If the, de- if the legitimate desire is to solve the situation in the Ukraine, then the humility that you and I need to admit to is, it is outside of our power to affect that, right cure. We can't, we can't resolve the situation in the Ukraine as individuals, as citizens of the United States. So, we've been talking all along about how we engage ourselves through prayer, but also through action, through generosity, right? Opening our doors, opening our parish to a refugee. I mean, there's so many things we can do on the local level to alleviate some of the evil consequences and the evil perpetrated, right? The suffering being inflicted on innocent people, right? But the one thing I would want us to consider is this What do you think? In his humanity, when Jesus looked down from the cross and looked upon what he saw, what do you think crossed his mind? That he had trust in his Father without question. That on in his humanity, the sheer wonderment of why it needed to come to this, which he chose freely, could they not have been a different way? Could they not have been more acceptance? No. Did the world have to rebel to the bitter end? <laughs> hmm. The man lived three years of graceful action in word and power. And he still wound up on the cross in the most alone moment ever experienced. In humanity's history. And yet, because he trusted in God, in his Father, and the confidence he had, he knew already that it would not be the end, but it would be the beginning of the healing, the inbreaking of the kingdom, and when all creation would be healed at his feet as judge. Hmm? So for us as Christians, I think our response to that tension that we have between wanting to do something and solve the situation, but at the same time, having to trust and surrender to God, the way we we can resolve that issue is not to say one wins over the other, but it's to hold them in tension with each other and in the end, leave it to God. And not say, God, it's your problem, figure it out. Huh. But Lord, in the end, you are the giver of all gifts and you are the one, but I'm going to work as much as I can within my power to make a difference. See, it's not either or, it's both. Yeah. Because if you don't use your anger to do that, where's your anger going to go? How are you going to resolve that deep, passionate impulse? chances are you're going to bury it somewhere else and it's going to do harm to yourself and whoever happens to be at the other end when it explodes. <laughs> right. Hmm.
0: Uh, d- d- have you heard um, Archbishop Shevchuk, I guess, is the uh, mm-hmm. archbishop there in um, mm-hmm. in Kiev? And... Mm-hmm. Uh, he, I I, I read uh, a piece that said he was talking about the um, the fact that right now Ukraine is the center of all pr- of all prayer globally. Everybody mm-hmm. in the world is praying for Ukraine, so they're the beneficiaries. And then he he said that he has heard, and he didn't confirm it, but he said he's heard stories of r- reports of sightings of angels in the city. I wouldn't doubt it. I would.
1: And people are saying, oh, this guy's nuts. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. The spiritual, the invisible, is as real as the visible. Yes. I have no doubt in my mind. What? I'll give you a practical example. There was a recent story of an elderly couple confronting Roman soldiers that invaded their homes. And they told them to get out. And they refused. And they continued to argue with the soldiers. They continued to push back on the soldiers. And the soldiers left. <laughs> you saw that story. Yes. Okay, what do you think in the end caused the inspiration of these soldiers to walk away? Right. When all of their training would have been, get out of my way. Yes. Well, that's the presence of the angels. What inspired that one elderly man to almost in the 21st century mimic the one image we remember in the Vietnam War, right, where that one, oh no, I'm sorry, not the Vietnam War, in the uh, Tenement Square, where yes. the Chinese, right? And that one gentleman standing before a tank. Yes. Well, he was standing before a column of tanks. Yeah. And stopped their movement. I think that's the presence of the angels. Yes. That goes beyond what a human would ordinarily, that's the presence of the grace of the Holy Spirit. And remember, in the Old Testament, when the angels appeared, it was it was God who was appearing; they were his me- the messengers of his presence.
0: It's his presence that they were mediating.
1: I see, I think they're all over.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Mm-hmm. I, I love how you said you know there's the visible and the invisible. Exactly right. All right, Excellency, let's let's take one more break here uh, and come back with a listener question. This is Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network. We'll be back with a listener question. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. All right, Excellency, people love this part of the show. They love the whole show, but they love this part. So here's the question that came in this week. It says, Bishop, I have a question about my responsibility to help those in need around me, specifically the homeless people I see every day. What is my obligation to give money to the homeless? My heart goes out to them, but I'm afraid they'll use the money on harmful things like drugs or alcohol. On the other hand, it also doesn't feel like I'm doing enough just by praying for them.
1: Right. And again, this is sort of a question I wish there was a simple answer, but there isn't. Because there are two factors here. The first is that many individuals who are homeless are homeless precisely because they are mentally challenged, mentally ill, or under extreme duress. And because they are in that state, if you gave them money, there is a good possibility that they will not use it for the end in which you intend to give it which is to buy food. It could be all the reasons that the, the, the questioner just made. It's more than possible that that could happen, right? So once again, for the individual versus the institution, our response has to be prudential in how we help an individual who is homeless. And again, my my spiritual vices err on the side of being generous, right? Than not always. On the other hand, right, that there is an obligation for our society to do better in regards to homeless is clear.
0: Yeah.
1: Homeless don't want to go to shelters because sometimes the shelter is more dangerous than the street. Right, and. And unless you address the mental stress or conditions a lot of people have, then it is, it is very difficult to be able to give them stability. Yes. So what's my response? I think in the individuals you meet, if it's the same individuals, which oftentimes they may be, you can discern how reasonable they will use the gift you're giving them and be as generous as you can. Once you've made that sense of discernment, And then we have to advocate on a a broader level for structures that will prevent homeless people from just literally just being ignored. Yes. Because that could be my mother or your mother, right, in the end.
0: Yes. Yep.
1: But but to summarize it, Matthew 25, we don't have an option. Lord, when do we see you homeless? Mm -hmm. When you did it for the least of my sisters and brothers, you did it for me. It's a divine mandate
0: yeah yeah mm-hmm. if, if I may suggest what I have in the past, when I had time taken them into a place and bought them a sandwich or something, uh, yeah so Perfect. that's that's an easy solution.
1: Perfect. And I'm going to tell you though, remember, my friend, even that, unless you're going to sit there and watch them eat it, it will not stop them from bartering that that sandwich for alcohol if they need it or whatever. Sure. Right. In the end, on some level you just have to trust that your yes. intent is good one and what they do with it on some level is not in your control. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: And if you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in to us on social media or you can email questions at VeritasCatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network. And we would like to thank Foundations in Faith. A grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Excellency, this is is now my favorite part of every week, when I ask for your blessing. (laughs) Oh, when you get rid of me. That's the idea.
1: (laughs) In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come to us. O Holy Spirit of God, fill the minds and hearts of your faithful so that we might be instruments of justice and peace. We also ask that through the intercession of the Great Mother of God, that all wars come to an end, particularly in the Ukraine, that those who are harmed may be healed and that there may be a just resolution so that the children, your children, may live in peace. We ask your blessing, Heavenly Father, in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'll see you in a, in a, in a week, and we're gonna talk about some boyhood stuff, right? Let's Yay. talk about some, yeah. Something fun. About, I'll, I'll dig out some of my stories. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Excellency. All the best, Steve. Take care, God bless.